open our Bibles or our iPads or our iPhones or whatever we have our Bible on, and we read a scripture about the book, uh, about the, uh, from the Bible passage that we're going to be studying for the day. The problem with what I've been given to do, Esther, the story covers eight chapters. It's not just like a couple verses here and a couple verses here. It's a long story, and it's very complicated, and it's very exciting, and there's lots of intrigue. It reads like a novel that you could pick up off of the shelf um, when you go to a bookstore. And I don't have time to give you the full, long synopsis, and I was trying to figure out how I could teach you a little bit about the book of Esther without taking the whole time just telling the story because it's important. But it's important to understand the story in order to properly understand the points we're going to make today. So I found a video that I think you'll enjoy. It's got a little bit of humor in it. So, you know, if you came a little uptight today, just relax and smile because it does have humor. You know, I think God has a sense of humor, don't you? Amen. Okay. One person said, if you don't believe that God has a sense of humor, look in the mirror. Okay. <laughs> And, and understand that God definitely does have a sense of humor. So this morning, we're going to start with a uh, quick little video to explain a little bit about the life of Esther. If you were here the first week, you'll remember we talked about the life of David. And for our underdog series, we learned about David thinking, possibly thinking, I'm not qualified enough. Last week, we learned about Paul, whose past was too bad. And this week, we're going to be learning about Esther and how she was an underdog, and yet she changed the entire world. Sometime later, Esther's uncle Mordecai 
was sitting at the city gate when he overheard two men plotting to kill the king. Mordecai quickly relayed this to Esther, who told the king to promptly solve the problem. And some time later, he found himself in trouble when a man named Haman rose to power. Haman was the king's second in command, and whenever Haman walked through the streets, everyone was ordered to bow down before him. But Mordecai, being a Jew and a follower of God, refused to bow to Haman. When Haman found out about it, he was enraged. In fact, he was so enraged that he plotted to kill not only Mordecai, but every single Jew in the empire. Women and children included. On Haman's influence, the king sent out a decree that ordered all Jews to be executed and their property taken. When Mordecai found out about it, he begged Esther to approach the king and ask him to change his mind. But Esther knew that if she were to approach the king without being summoned, she could, by law, be put to death. Esther was in torment, but finally, after much fasting and praying, she decided to approach the king even if she should perish. When the king saw her standing before him, he loved her and invited her to speak. What do you wish, Esther? The king asked. Esther replied, I would ask that the king and Haman come to a feast that I shall prepare. The king was delighted, as was Haman, and together they feasted. Toward the end of the meal, the king asked Esther, What is it that you wish? Anything you want will be granted to you, up to half my kingdom. Esther replied, If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come to another feast that I will prepare, and there I will answer the king's question. Haman left the palace happy that day, but on his way home, he noticed Mordecai at the gate, and was reminded of Mordecai's refusal to bow to him. Haman's mood darkened. He decided to have a gallows built on which Mordecai would be hanged the following day. That night, the king couldn't sleep. So he ordered the book of records be brought and read to him. When the account of Mordecai's warning of the plot to kill the king was read, the king asked, What have we done to honor Mordecai for saving my life? Nothing, your majesty, replied the servant. So the king called for Haman, and when he arrived, the king asked, what should I do for someone I want to honor? Haman thought he was thinking of him, and he said, You should put your royal robes on him, and a crown, and let him ride your horse through the streets so that everyone will know that this is the man the king honors. The king thought that was a great idea, and he said, Perfect! Go and get Mordecai, and do exactly what you have just said. In fact, you can be the one who made the horse around. The day of Queen Esther's feast arrived. After they had finished eating, the king again asked Esther, What is it that you wish? Anything you want will be granted to you, up to half my kingdom. Esther replied, O king, if it please you, all I ask is that my life and the life of my people be spared. For I am a Jew, and it has been decreed that all Jews in the empire should be annihilated. When he heard this, the king was furious. Who would do such a thing to my queen? He shouted. Haman, replied Esther. And furthermore, 
Mordecai, who once saved the king's life. The king replied, then let Haman be hanged on it. And so it was. Haman was executed on the gallows. <laughs> and a new decree was issued, saving the lives of the Jews. Esther and Mordecai were honored and spent the rest of their days serving the The end. <laughs> that was fun, wasn't it? Couldn't have said it better myself. There we go. There's lights. I can read. <laughs> the story of Esther is so intriguing, and there's so many details to it, and it's an exciting story. And this morning, we're going to be looking at her life just a little bit more. And it, talk about how, in spite of the fact that she was an underdog, God used her life. And I'm subtitling this sermon today, Can God Use a Girl? Hmm. I hear some yeses. I see some mixed reactions. We'll find out a little bit more about it. Now, you know, some would say when I subtitle it, this sermon, yes, we're going to hear a wonderful woman's, maybe even a feminist perspective on how God uses women. Bless God, it's about time the women got the platform. Some people might say, oh, great. Here we go. Another wasted Sunday on a feminist perspective about how God uses women. Can't wait till Phil gets back and we get some real preaching going on. But today, I'm not going to really focus on either one of those. I'm going to look a little bit more clearly at the fact that our lesson for today is I'm not going to try because my chances are too slim. You see, Esther was a girl. And I'm going to let us look at her life today and some of the things God did in and through her and make up your own mind about whether God can use a girl or not. But I don't want your thoughts just to be just about whether God can use a girl, but maybe I'm hoping that you will start an internal dialogue this morning about whether or not God can use you or not. You know, Esther's chances were very slim. She was a girl in a very patriarchal society. That's a fancy word for saying the men ruled the roost. The men were in charge of everything, and they could pretty much do what they went to and didn't have to ask their wives' permission. She was just a slave girl that was far, far away from her own country. Esther was an orphan. Her parents died when she was young. We don't know why. Her, adapt, her adopted dad, Mordecai, as we saw in the video, kept getting into all kinds of trouble. And not just in trouble with his neighbors, but in trouble with the second in command of the king. She had a stiff competition when it came to the pageant because they brought all the pretty girls in the country together. Actually, in the known world at that point, Persia was a very large ruler of many countries. And last but not least, some of you all can relate to this, she had a very powerful and moody husband. In spite of the fact that Esther was quite beautiful, she was definitely an underdog. And the first point I want to make about Esther today is that in spite of the fact that she was an underdog, she had secret weapons. Weapons of mass blessing instead of mass destruction. You know, let me take a little aside here for just a moment. Sometimes it's easier to be confused or to make excuses when God wants to do something in your life. Only you know what God may have been prompting you to do in your life. 
Maybe it's to make a step toward him. Maybe it's to take a step in a new direction. Maybe it's to deal with a situation in your life or help to engage in a family situation that you have. Only you know what that is. But sometimes it's easy just to be confused and to make excuses. And, and, and for those of us who get in that mindset, and I think we all do from time to time, you can hear the story of Esther, and you can do what I call buffering. Okay, that's her, but that doesn't relate to me. That kind of buffering. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Esther had secret weapons. You know, she was a hottie after all. She definitely had secret weapons, right? I mean, in fact, if you take time to read the book of Esther in the New Testament, it went to the point of saying not only was she beautiful, but she had a great figure. I mean, Esther had something going on. But, you know, I'm not like that, so I'm off the hook. And I don't really have to worry about it, because Esther could do something with her life. But I don't have to worry about what God wants me to do with my life. You know, maybe you might say as you're buffering through this, well, you know, I'm not a great warrior or a great leader like David that we learned about the first week. I'm not a great intellect like Paul that we learned about last week who managed to overcome great obstacles in spite of the fact that he had a bad history. I can't preach like Phil Nordstrom when he gets up here and just the whole audience is just riveted as he preaches. I can't sing like Noah who's going to an audition today. Maybe there's nothing that God has for me to do and maybe I'm off the hook. But what I would like to say to you today in regards to the point we're making right now is like Esther, you too have a secret weapon. And it's not about your talents or it's not about your looks, but it's about something that supersedes all of that. You see, it wasn't what she had in the natural, her great beauty and an uncle that loved her and believed in her. That's not what made the difference. What made the difference for Esther is what she had in the supernatural. Because, you see, God was working through her and giving her abilities and, and, and talents and recognition beyond what she could naturally get. I mean, just, just think about it. There was dozens, if not hundreds, of beautiful girls in the land that he had to choose from. Beautiful, beautiful women. But somehow, the king, king Xerxes saw something in Esther that was special and he was drawn to. And it was because of what God was doing in and through her and not just because she was a beautiful woman. Beautiful women are a dime a dozen. Especially if you're a king and have every beautiful woman parading right in front of you. That's not what was special about her. It was because God gave her a supernatural secret weapon. God had a plan for her life. And all she had to do was say, yes, Lord, I'll do whatever you ask. You see, when God wants to use your life, when he wants to do something special and something amazing in your life, one thing you have to remember, this is the big phrase, tattoo it on your forehead if you want to, it's not about you. Let me say that again so it'll sink in really good. It's not about you. It's what God has planned for you, what he designed you to do, what he's going to give you the power to do that's above and beyond your own natural abilities you have a secret weapon because it's not about you you know when Mordecai was begging for her to go before the king to make sure that she would beg on behalf of her people and make sure that they weren't annihilated like evil Haman had the plan for one of the things that she did was she prayed and she fasted she was very afraid of this because the rule was 
and I don't know if you caught it in the story, but the rule was if you came before the king, even if you were the wife, if you came before the king when he hadn't called you to come before him, he had to raise his scepter. That was his little ruling stick. And if he didn't raise it when you came in the room, it was off with your head. And so even though she was his wife and she had picked, she'd been picked out of the whole crowd, she was very afraid because her husband had not asked her to come before him. And she prayed and she fasted. But one of the things that Mordecai said that's very indicative and, and, and kind of goes to this point of having secret weapons is Mordecai said to her, who knows, Esther, you can't just hide in the stuff. You can't go undercover. I know he doesn't know you're Jewish, but you are one of us. And he says, who knows, but that you are brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. And I believe that God has a plan for your life and that you were brought into this world for a time and a purpose, on purpose, because he brought you here. You know, Esther's life could have been just about winning a beauty pageant. And her name would have been forgotten in about 100 years. About 100 years later, they said, oh yeah, that pretty queen, what's her name? You remember how she won the pageant in that dramatic story? And a few more years, years later, that we would have known nothing about her. But you know, the Jews still celebrate a festival to this day called Purim. And the festival of Purim is where they celebrate how God delivered the people and how they were not killed. And it was all because Esther was willing to do what God wanted her to do. Because she had a secret weapon. You know, I look at my own life and, and, and I think, you know, I'm not called to win beauty pageants. I don't think I ever was, but if I ever was, I think my time and age have long passed that status anyway. And I don't know that my name's ever going to go down in history. I don't think people will be reading about my name hundreds of years from now. And that's okay. But I believe that God chooses to use my life sometimes, even in spite of me. You know, sometimes when I, God has used my life the very most have been the times when I have been the most out of it and felt the least useful. I remember a time um, many years ago, back when we lived in Illinois, when I had one of those services that we went to. We had Sunday morning and Sunday night service at that point. And I was so tired. I was working full time. I had little babies in the home. I was just exhausted. And I was at Sunday night service, not because I wanted to be there, but because my husband was the pastor and I was trying to be faithful to God. It was just one of those times, I don't know if you've ever seen... um, the uh, the the movies with the uh, what is it called uh, uh, I can't think of his name the great the the comedian anyway the English comedian but he puts toothpicks in his eyeballs trying to stay awake and that's exactly how I felt I felt like I needed toothpicks in my eyeballs to help me stay awake but after at the end of the service we had a real touching service and other people were getting into it it wasn't me and then there was a prayer time and one of my jobs at the church was to go forward and to pray with people at the end. And, you know, I prayed with people in the end, but it was just kind of, in my heart, it honestly felt like, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep because it just wasn't powerful. But it was really amazing because I was just saying the words that I knew to say and praying the prayers that I knew to pray, not feeling any special thing on me. And I'll never forget that service because God taught me something very powerful. God's power began to really come down in that service. And we saw some amazing things begin to happen in people's lives. And some of the people that I prayed with thanked me afterwards and said that they had really felt a special touch from God. And I realized at that very moment it wasn't about me. It wasn't because I was a good prayer or was really in tune with God and had prayed and fasted that morning. It was because God 
had a secret weapon and he had something he wanted to do for those people that day. And it wasn't about me. I'll, I'll never forget one time I was asked in the middle of a service to pray for a lady who was going in for tests. I didn't know a lot about it. Didn't know a lot about her. It wasn't like my heart was pounding with empathy, but I prayed, you know, and say, God, help this, help this woman who's going through the test, and Lord, you know what the situation is, and a few more words like that in Jesus' name, amen. And she came back the next week, and her husband was rejoicing, and they were almost on their tiptoes, and they were talking to me, and they were saying, you would not believe it, but we went in for the test, and my wife has cancer, and she no longer has cancer. God healed her in a miraculous way. And you know what? It wasn't about me. I'm not a great faith healer. Nobody's ever going to come to my crusade and line up for hours to get in. But it was something that God chose to do that morning for that woman and used me to be a part of the miracle. But it wasn't about me. You have a secret weapon this morning. I'm not the only one in the room with a secret weapon. You have a secret weapon. And that is the fact that God wants to do something supernatural in and through you. The second point that I want to make, if you're taking notes, there is notes in your bulletin, is that Esther had God working behind the scenes on her behalf. Just a moment ago, I talked about how God was working through Esther, but God was not only working through Esther, God was working all around Esther. Dozens of years before Esther was even born, it was predicted that the Jewish people were going to be taken into captivity. They were going to be gone for a number of years, and then they were going to be taken back home again. That was long before Esther was even born. God was already saying, I am doing these great things, and I know that you're going to go into a troubled time, people of Israel, but I'm going to bring you back, and I'm going to bring you back to a place of safety. God was already working around Esther and around the things that were going to happen in her life before she was even born. Do you think it was a mistake that Xerxes was attracted to her above all of the scores of women? Do you think it was just a coincidence? Do you think it was a mistake that of all the people that could have heard the plot to kill a king, it was cousin Mordecai that happened to be the one to overhear that plot, and that became a very important part of the story of Esther? Do you think that it just so happened that Xerxes couldn't sleep one night and he asked them to bring out the book and they just so happened to bring out the book of Chronicles and just so happened to read the story about how Mordecai had helped him and had never been honored? Do you think that was a coincidence? I mean, basically when he said, go get me the Chronicles, that was like, go get, it was like telling a servant, go get me the telephone book and I'll read it for a little while to make me go to sleep. But you see, while he was just trying to fall asleep, God was doing something miraculous that he was going to work through Esther, but also through the entire uh, Jewish nation. Do you think it was a mistake? Do you think that it was a mistake that Mordecai had, he had forgotten to honor Mordecai? And that Haman just so happened to walk in the room and have to be the one, the man who was going to be murdering all of the Jewish people if he could possibly do so, happened to be the one that happened to be the one to, uh, to honor this little Jewish guy? Do you think that was a mistake that that happened? Or do you think that maybe God was working behind the scenes? Do you think God was doing something above and beyond what Esther could have seen? But let me say this. Esther didn't know 
that God was working behind the scenes like that. She didn't know. We can tell all the parts of the story because we have cute little videos and we have storybooks and we even have the Bible that we can read that tells us about all the things that God was doing behind the scenes to make this great miracle happen. However, Esther didn't know that. She had to make that first scary step to walk before the king. And as I mentioned earlier, her head could have been cut off because of that, because that's the way they dealt with problems back then. I don't like you. You're gone. All she knew is that she had a prompting in her heart from God. After prayer and fasting, she couldn't figure out a way to get out of it. So she decided to do what God had said. She didn't know God was going to do all these miracles or what he was going to do or how he was going to do or that God had been working for dozens of years before her birth about this situation. She only knew that she had to follow God. And she also was well aware that it could cost her her life. You know, I've got good news for you today. God is working behind the scenes in your life. Like Esther, you may not know what God's doing. You may not even be able to see it for years later. You may not even see it in your lifetime. But God is working on your behalf and he is doing things to bring about miracles in and through you that are going to impact your world. I don't know if any of us will be like Esther and affect a whole nation of people that have in turn affected the whole world. I don't know what God's purpose and God's plan is for, is, is for you, but rest assured in the fact that God is working around you. And there are situations that you have prayed for. Some of you have even stayed up in the night rolling and tossing and turning and saying, God, help me through this situation. I don't know how we're going to make it. God, I cannot see you. I cannot see you working on my behalf. It seems like one author said it's like when I pray, the heavens are like brass, almost like your prayers are bouncing back at you and you don't even know if they're going anywhere beyond the ceiling that you're praying toward. But let me give you the good news today that in spite of the fact that you don't see the answer, you don't see how it's going to happen. God is working behind the scenes on behalf of what he wants to do in your life. You know, I got to thinking about our situation here at Gresham and Life Church. Since we've come here, we've had over the course of the last three Sundays, 24 people raise their hands saying, I want to receive Jesus into my life. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, you can give it a clap. Thanks, Crystal. And that's why we came here. Because we wanted new people to be introduced to the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. And we believe that Christ is going to transform your life. And that's been exciting. But do you think that that just so happened for those 24 people? Let's think about it. There was a family pastoring in Illinois, having a great time, thinking that, thinking that life was good and they'd be in Illinois for the rest of their life. But God put something in their heart that said, you know what, I've got something that I want to do in Knoxville, and I want you to be part of what I'm going to do at this little church in Knoxville, and so I want you to go to Knoxville. Then he began speaking to people's hearts at a church called Bethesda here in Knoxville and said, you know what, there's a preacher that I want you to bring, and I want you all to come into a relationship together, and I want you all to, to, uh, to do something great in the city of Knoxville, and you're going to change your name from Life Church to Bethesda. We didn't know all that at the time, from Bethesda to Life Church, and I'm going to do some great things, and I'm going I'm to even move you out to, of your beautiful little congregational building that you have, and I'm going to move you out to a big school because I want people to know about Jesus, and I want more people to know about Jesus. 
So God was moving on a family in Illinois. God was moving on a little church here in ways that it didn't know. God was even moving on a school system to make it possible for us to have this facility. And we've had some great people working with us. Do you know that we've had people from all over the country sending money to this congregation to help us to be able to afford to buy the things that we need to buy in order to set up church in this building? People from all over the country because God is working behind the scenes. Somehow, if you were one of the ones that got one of the flyers that came out in the mail and God brought you here and you dedicated your life to Christ, do you know that somehow God must have been working behind the scenes to make sure that the right postal code was picked so that you would get that mailer? Maybe you listened to about it on the radio and you heard the radio, it just so happened the right time. He wanted people to be here because he wanted a saving message to go out. It is no mistake. There are things happening all over that you don't even realize that God is doing on behalf of creating miracles in your life, on behalf of creating great things. And I don't care what kind of underdog you are, where you've come from or where you think you're going, God is moving on your behalf to bring about situations because he believes in you and he believes in what he's created you to be. So if you've been panicking about your situation and you can't see the answer, I just want you to open your eyes wide open today because I want you to see what you can't see in the natural. I want you to see with spiritual eyes that God is working on your behalf. Amen. The last point I want to make is Esther had courage because she was chosen. Yes, Esther had courage because she was chosen by the king, but more importantly, she was chosen by God. Many people get stuck on this point. I'm an underdog because I'm a nobody. I'm not good enough. If people really knew me, dot, 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 I'm not talented enough not smart enough, not pretty enough, my family's a mess, I've been hurt before, I'm an orphan, I'm a slave, I'm just a girl. And many people get stuck on this point when it comes to God's calling and choosing in their life because they don't feel like they're worthy of God's choosing. I want to come back to a point I made earlier. I know that none of us are worthy. But thankfully, it's not about us. It's not about us. It's because you're his. It's because he's chosen you. It's because he created you for purpose and he created you for life. And he believes that he wants to pour his life into you so that you can not just have a great life yourself, but so that you can be a blessing to other people. The Bible says that he formed you and knitted you in your mother's womb. He had plans from you from before you even knew you existed. Before your mother knew that you existed in her womb, he had plans for you. He chose you. And he loves you. You are irrevocably his. Back on the cross many, many years ago, he said, I want them all. I choose them all. And he invites us to choose him. There's a book that I love that talks about how much God loves us and chooses us in spite of the fact that we feel blemished. 
Many of you may have read this book, but I want to read it again this morning in light of our conversation this morning. It's a book by Max Lucado. He's a phenomenal Christian writer. And it's called, You Are Special. The Wimmicks were small wooden people. All of the wooden people were carved by a woodworker named Eli. His workshop sat on a hill overlooking their village. Each Wimmick was different. Some had big noses, others had large eyes. Some were tall, others were short. Some wore hats, others wore coats. But all were made by the same carver, and all lived in the village. And all day, every day, the Wimmicks did the same thing. They gave each other stickers. Each Wimmick had a a box of golden star stickers and a box of gray dot stickers. Up and down the streets, all over the city, people could be seen sticking stars or dots on one another. All the pretty ones, with those with smooth wood and fine paint, always got stars. But if the wood was rough or the paint chipped, the Wimmicks gave dots. The talented one got stars, too. Some could lift big sticks high above their heads or jump over tall boxes. Still others knew big words or could sing pretty songs. Everyone gave them stars. Some Wimmicks had stars all over them. Every time they got a star, it made them feel so good. It made them do something else to get another star. Others, though, could do very little. They got dots. Punchinello was one of those. He tried to jump high like the others, but he always fell. And when he fell, others would gather around and give him dots. Sometimes when he fell, his wood got scratched, so the people would give him more dots. Then he would try to explain why he fell. He would say something silly, and the Wimmicks would give him more dots. After a while, he had so many dots that he didn't want to go outside. He was afraid he would do something dumb, such as forget his hat or step in the water, and then people would give him another dot. In fact, he had so many gray dots that some people would come up and give him one for no reason at all. He deserves lots of dots, the wooden people would agree with one another. He is not a good wooden person. After a while, Punchinello believed them. I'm not a good Wimmick, he would say. The few times he went outside, he hung around other Wimmicks who had a lot of dots. He felt better around them. One day, he met a Wimmick who was unlike any he had ever met. She had no dots or stars. She was just wooden. Her name was Lucia. It wasn't that people didn't try to give her stickers. It's just that the stickers didn't stick. Some of the Wimmicks admired Lucia for having no dots, so they would run up and give her a star, but it would fall off. Others would look down on her for having no stars, so they would give her a dot, but it wouldn't stay either. That's the way I want to be, thought Punchinello. I don't want anyone's marks. So he asked the stickerless Wimmick how she did it. It's easy, Lucia replied. Every day I go to see Eli. Eli? Yes, Eli, the woodcarver. I sit in the workshop with him. Why? Why don't you find out for yourself? 
go up the hill. He's there. And with that, the Wemmick with no marks turned and skipped away. But will he want to see me? Punchinello cried out. Lucia didn't hear. So Punchinello went home. He sat near a window and watched the wooden people as they scurried around, giving each other stars and dots. It's not right, he muttered to himself. And he decided to go and see Eli. He walked up the narrow path to the top of the hill and stepped into a big shop. His wooden eyes widened at the size of everything. The stool was as tall as he was. He had to stretch on his tiptoes to see the top of the workbench. A hammer was as long as his arm. Punchinello swallowed hard. I'm not staying here. And he turned to leave. Then he heard his name. Punchinello. The voice was deep and strong. Punchinello stopped. Punchinello, how good to see you. Come and let me have a look at you. Punchinello turned slowly and looked at the large bearded craftsman. You know my name? The little Wemmick asked. Of course I do. I made you. Eli stooped down and picked him up and set him on the bench. Hmm, the maker spoke thoughtfully as he inspected the gray dots. Looks like you've been given some bad marks. I didn't mean to, Eli. I really tried hard. Oh, oh, you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. You don't? No. And you shouldn't either. Who are they to give stars or dots? They're Wemmicks, just like you. And what they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think. And I think you're pretty special. Punchinello laughed. Me special? Why? I can't walk fast. I can't jump. My pain is peeling. Why do I matter to you? Eli looked at Punchinello, put his hands on those small wooden shoulders, and spoke very slowly. Because you're mine, that's why you matter to me. Punchinello had never had anyone look at him like this, much less his maker. He didn't know what to say. Every day I've been hoping you come, Eli explained. I came because I met someone had, who had no marks. I know. She told me about you. Why don't the sticker stay on her? The mo- maker spoke softly. Because she has decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about the stickers. I'm not sure I understand. Eli smiled. You will but it will take time. You've got a lot of marks. For now, just come and see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said as the Wemmick walked out the door, you are special because I made you and I don't make mistakes. 
Punchinello didn't stop. But in his heart, he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. You are special. Simply because you are his. Not because of what you do. Not because of what other people think of you. Not because you have more stars than the person sitting next to you. Not because you have so many dots that they're layered all over your body. But because you're his. Your chances are not too slim because you're his. The story of Esther teaches us that. You have secret weapons. It's not the natural that counts. It's the supernatural that counts. God is working behind the scenes on your behalf. And you can have courage because you are chosen. You are special to your creator, the one who made you. This morning... If you wouldn't mind, I just ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And while we do that, I'd like you to reflect on a couple of questions. Crystal's going to sing a chorus of a song here in just a moment. But the questions I'd like you to think about as she sings this chorus is, Lord, where am I lacking confidence in my life? Where is it that I'm facing a decision that maybe needs some courage? What is it you're calling me to do that I need courage to do? I'd like you just to reflect and to pray about those two questions for just a moment while Crystal sings a song. <laughs>